knows my secrets. <laughs> knows my fears. Welcome, everybody, to Satanists on Cinema. We are your hosts, Satanist Cameron John and Reverend Campbell. Satanists on Cinema is a film review and commentary series that will open up a gateway through space-time, unleashing evil itself, just to bring you our review of Event Horizon. So, pack an extra pair of socks, grab your meat cleaver, and join us in the gravity drive. Glasses and contacts are optional, because where we're going, we don't need eyes. Yeah. Love that line. I, I don't give a shit that it's a straight up ripoff of back to the future i don't fucking care where we're going we don't need roads or eyes um, just sounds so much better coming out of sam neil's mouth everything he does is just gold i it just is. can't help but i'm i'm marvel like his scream in a couple different points of this film are dramatically different from each other but so equally powerful like this guy's he's gold he's just yeah. gold i don't get it it's That's crazy. Pretty much all I kept doing is every, you know, 15, 20 minutes, just look over at Jan like, fuck, he's amazing. <laughs> Why don't we see him more? I know, I know. Uh, Zachary, thank you so much for joining us live. Valeria, great to see you, my dear. Behemoth, what up? Vashiri, how you doing, man? Uh, dog, what's up? We are going to be talking about Event Horizon. Um, yeah. I just finished watching it for, I don't know, the billionth time. You know, we I think it was last week or so, last time we were together, uh, you and I were talking about uh, how, the, the film that I'm going to have on my birthday, right? Mm -hmm. So I was looking for films released on August 15th. This film was released on August 15th. No shit. 1997, August 15th. I was stationed in Fort Gordon, Georgia uh, at the very beginning of my military career. And I was in training, but I was living off base with my wife. And we went to the theater in Georgia and saw this. It was a completely empty theater. What? We were the only people in it. And after I looked at like the reviews in the box office, I now understand why. Like it, it doesn't make sense, but I understand why it was empty because it got horrible reviews. So uh, I it, don't get it. <laughs> critics are incredibly insane. This mm -hmm. film is genuinely like up there with some of my favorite sci-fi horror of all time fuck yeah and they, they gave it 27 percent rotten on rotten tomatoes what 27 percent rotten but the like the uh, audience gave it 61 percent, which i still think is a bit low that's absurd imdb is given it 6.7 out of 10 which is respectable um i still personally think it's better than 6.7 but we'll get into that mm -hmm. a little kind of craziness though right all right so the yeah, log that's... line uh, of Event Horizon is a rescue crew investigates a spaceship that disappeared into a black hole and has now returned with someone or something new on board. There is a lot that I didn't know about this film when I was looking into it. <laughs> like a lot I didn't know. Like I remembered that there was cues from it when I first saw it um, until my next seeing when I was in Germany when we bought it was that it was a great film. And I mean, even then the CGI was a little shoddy. Like there's some shots you're like, mm, could have worked on that a little longer. But still, yeah. like all in all, it was it was great. And and so uh, I was just a, a little a little bit stunned to learn some of the uh, notes 
uh, that we're about to tell all of you people watching. <laughs> this, that was a weird... That started. <laughs> it started. All right. Directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. It was written by Philip Eisner. Quick note about the writing. Um, Anderson took the original screenplay when he was uh, presented with it, and it was a little bit too much like Aliens because it had like tentacles and it was like an alien infestation rather than what he ended up making it. Um, and so he completely rewrote the script. And he took elements that he loved from The Shining, and he took elements that he loved from Aliens in order to create this wholly new, wholly original, and yet slightly familiar sci-fi horror film. Um, I didn't know that. I thought that was really interesting. Uh, it had a budget of $60 million for back in the day. That was pretty good. Um, it only brought in $26 million in the U.S. box office. So crazy to me. Totally tanked uh, in theaters. However, as soon as they released it to DVD... People started watching it and realized, what the fuck have we missed? This is amazing. And it developed this huge cult following. Uh, the studio went back to him and said, hey, we asked you to cut a whole bunch of footage. How about you put all that footage back in and we'll re-release it as a special edition? He was like, I would love to, but you guys told me to delete it, so I deleted it. Yeah. So it's gone. Yeah, because this isn't back or this is back in the day when they still used film. Yeah. So there was a physical Weird. thing that held those images. <laughs> It's just crazy. Yeah. So the original that he presented to test screen audiences and to the producers ultimately was 130 minutes. And it had so much more stuff about hell and torture and extended scenes going into character and development. And I released the fucking Anderson cut, man. <laughs> if only it existed. Yeah. Um, it ended up uh, being 96 minutes. Damn it. 96 minutes. Not long enough. It's long no, not at all. enough for me to it love. It doesn't really feel that long, though. Like it, yeah. it, it goes by so damn quick. Mm -hmm. Like it's a, it's a properly paced horror movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, the the thing about this film is it it, it ticks off a whole lot of horror boxes. Mm. You've got haunted house, which is the event horizon. You've got sci-fi, the setting, and also calling back to other films. You've got supernatural horror. You've got possession. I mean, you've got jump scares. Um, you've got adult BDSM torture porn. I, mm. I mean, this checks off every <laughs> single box <laughs> that you could possibly check off. It's and it doesn't feel like it's all jammed in. And it doesn't make sense. Like mm -hmm. it's fluid and it makes perfect logical sense in that universe. And it genuinely felt like they were already. Like, the world felt lived in. It felt like the characters had history before they came on screen. Like, oh, yeah. there, there's just so much meat to this particular film that it's a shame that there isn't some form of a sequel or a prequel or something. I know right now they're in developments, uh, development to do a TV series. Uh, um, what? Who is it? Who's doing it? Paramount Television with Amazon Studios. They're developing the TV series based on it. That'd be sweet. Yeah, so hopefully they capture what the film captured and made us love it because it was fucking awesome. What's up, Mike? Thanks for joining us, man. Okay. Uh, do you want to talk about this? Do you want to walk through the Yeah, the we can go beats? through the notes. What's that? The story beats? Yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's you know, your pretty standard run-of-the-mill possessed alien ship, or possessed <laughs> ship from <laughs> alien space. You know, so it starts off with the rescue team taking off, uh, getting familiar with each other, and uh, it, well, I guess technically the movie starts 
explaining the future, even mm. though this, you know, by 2015, we were supposed to be colonized on the moon. So I think we're a little behind on that. We just um, haven't been told, but it's it's done. That's true. It, it could be. Um, fucking Elon Musk. It's a new QAnon theory, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> just start making shit up. I, I mean, fuck it. We put it on Facebook. It's real, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, so the search and rescue team, it's they're going out for the event horizon, which uh, used the uh, the black hole technology to travel distance in an insane rate. Um, and it disappeared in 2040. And then seven years later, it reemerged and it, you know, they found it by a distress call and it's out in the atmosphere of Neptune, right? It was mm -hmm. Neptune? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, the movie starts with them traveling out there to find it, to figure out what the hell's going on. Um, everything just seems weird as shit because they, when they get there, they're doing bioscans of the ship and they can't pinpoint any actual life form, just that there is a life form and a massive presence because it's moving throughout the ship. Mm -hmm. Unbeknownst to them, it is the fucking ship. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they had uh, received uh, this sort of distorted, broken up um, so. message, uh, which prompted this secret uh, investigation. And in this, it, it really does make me, you know, remind me of Alien because like alien the very first alien film we ever got already felt like a very lived-in world like mm -hmm. the original star wars did where everything was dirty and grimy and gritty but then it also alludes to this wayland corporation and this whole android uh technology and stuff so there's world building but you kind of have to look for it that's what i got at the beginning of this like the whole story when he was trying to tell them that no we're after the event horizon everyone gets up throwing their hands in the air all right <laughs> fuck you yeah. we all know it exploded and it doesn't exist anymore he's like no, no 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 that's what we told you but here's the truth and so there's already a world much like ours where these secret experiments or secret developments happening and then you know they get covered up and then uh, the team finds himself uh literally like almost like uh grappers to to find out what the hell happened with this ship yeah. and bring it back if possible very much like alien 2 when they go to get the zygote and try to bring it back um yeah and so their reaction and the the sort of the established history just in the first 10 minutes was enough to make me really love this sort of universe that they mm -hmm. created it feels so much more deep than just a horror film it's oh, just, yeah. it's so wonderful um, hey Ruth, thanks for joining us. Uh, what's up, Garyan? Okay, so as soon as everyone accepts that they came out here, they're trying to figure out, well, what the hell was the point of the machine? And as you had already mentioned, it actually folds space-time to travel at mass distances by creating a black hole. How one could ever assume to control it and know exactly where you're going to end up is beyond me and a bit of a fallacy for the logic of the film, but no, he even addresses that. Oh, really? That he has no idea where they went. He had no idea where they were oh, going right, to go. Right, right, right. It was all theory that he knew where they were going to go. But that's that's my like even before mm -hmm. that when they were starting that mission to begin with, and they're like, "Well, we're going to create this black hole powered machine, this gravity generator, and we're going to travel through space time." Hey, how do we decide where we're going to end up? Do we just guess? We bite our nails? <laughs> like, what? How do you know? 
That's that was my point. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. Like, I understand you turn it on if you didn't know if you were going to try to go somewhere. You're just like, hey, let's just turn it on and see what happens. That's just mm -hmm. insane, and I don't think anyone would do that. You know, there would have to be some contingency saying we're planning on going to X, so let's go to X. Um, but they never even assumed that they were going anywhere. It seems like. Well, and I think ultimately that's what started the great hyperspace wars. <laughs> Yep. All right. I'll buy it. <laughs> Star Wars nerds in the house. Um, okay. So <laughs> they they finally dock with it. And uh, first of all, this is uh, led by Sam Neill, who is Dr. William Weir, who actually created this machine. Um, Lawrence Fishburne is the Captain Miller, who is running this team to go salvage the event horizon if they possibly can uh the med tech is the next big name uh kathleen quinlan she uh dies a little bit soon right peters yeah, just a little yeah i don't know like halfway through um jolie richardson is lieutenant stark uh, she plays a big role in this, and then there's a whole bunch of other cast. But mm -hmm. this is like right before the Matrix, and so Lawrence Fishburne was known, and he was great. Uh, but he didn't really catapult until after that. So we get to see like a I don't know. -faced... He wasn't Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh, they. Right. What do you? You don't like Pee Wee's Playhouse? No, dude. <laughs> oh, jeez. I watched it. I even watched the TV series, but now I got that run through my head. <laughs> We're here at Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, I always wanted to build a cherry. <laughs> creepy. So <laughs> creepy. Furniture talking to you that you're going to sit on is just creepy. Right? I mean, it was it was the 80s. All right. Yeah, that's true. Um, so they uh, get on board. They see no signs of life, as you had mentioned with the scanning. I'm just diving right in. <laughs> Passing the Pee Wee Playhouse. Uh, talking couches. Uh, they go to the bridge and everything's dark. They're trying to turn on life control systems and we're getting like flashes of light through uh, uh, like they have windows in spaceships, mm -hmm. which seems illogical to me personally, but for film, you have to do something right. Um, and so you were sense. seeing like flashes of blood and stuff on the walls and then the power gets turned on and uh, they turn around and the, like the entire cockpit space is completely splattered with blood. Yeah. and gore and just nastiness and they're trying to decode the message and they think it's latin for um save me and so they're sort of empowered to find out a little bit more than yeah. they were before you know what happened to this crew where are they if everyone's dead we got to find out now they're faced with this nastiness um they're I think it was the Lieutenant Stark was left to sort of decode the, the officer's logs or the, the mm -hmm. ship logs while everyone else went to explore different places um one of the guys goes down to the gravity well, right? And this sets off the, the motion of the whole haunted house aspect of it, where we get a flash of gore, but now this guy who's checking out this gravity well, the gravity well turns on on its own and opens up this black hole in the center of it, which ultimately pulls him through. Mm -hmm. um, his, uh, I don't know, shipmates go to, to find out where he is, and then they see, like, the tether cord is going straight into the black hole. They pull it out. He comes rushing out, and from that moment on, he is nearly possessed with whatever mm -hmm. it is that he came in contact with over there. Um, and so they're already dancing with the idea of, well, where did they go? What's on the other side of this black hole? You know, where's the ship been and why is it acting like this? Uh, and it's sort of dancing between the idea of this, which is literally stated, it's a realm of a, di a dimension of chaos, I believe, mm -hmm. is uh, yeah. the explanation. But it always alludes that it was hell. Like they're constantly saying, you know, save yourself from hell once they fully decode the message and... 
So there, I, th I thought there's this fun little idea, because I always loved the Christian mythology of a, a heaven and a hell and a limbo mm -hmm. and fallen angels and all that stuff. Um, I think it's a fun mythology to explore, and it's certainly the idea of hell, um, oh, yeah. I thought it's just fascinating. Um, and so to have a, a sort of a sci-fi film delving into uh, tangentially this idea of hell that we've already explored in, in various types of uh, uh, horror like Hellraiser, for example, mm -hmm. that it's like this torturous area, but maybe a little bit more than just plain torture, which is always kind of cool. Oh, yeah, of um, and so he pulls him back through. He's sort of possessed at this point and just changed. Um, then other people start seeing these flashes in their head, like these intimate moments that presumably only they know about. Mm -hmm. They're starting to see flashes of based on this gravity well or based on you know the the ship itself uh sort of tapping into their minds corrupting them drawing them nearer to becoming one with it and, and sort of the, the way you know that you're one is it's this whole idea of do you see do you see and it's mm -hmm. this vision of seeing the reality on the other side a little like lord of illusions there's a lot of clive barker in this film there is a fuck ton of clive barker in this <laughs> i mean <laughs> there's there's a fuck ton of hellraiser but yeah like yeah. abstractly clive barker very much so too um so i don't know if i'm like from there i don't know how deep we need to get into each death or anything like that but people start dying yeah, and everybody goes off <laughs> this idea that they finally decode this captain log message which is the majority of the footage that was cut from the film because it was so twisted and gory and violent and abusive and shocking that test audience members were running out to vomit people were passing out in the audience the uh Producers, when they finally saw it, were so shocked that they're like, you've got to cut all this out. We can't do this. It was getting an NC-17 rating, which was shame. dead on arrival for a theatrical release. Mm -hmm. um, but God damn it. I want to see that cut so bad. Yeah. Hell yeah. Because like, what they we put did a lot see of was shocking. Yeah. Right? Like they were they were uh, uh they hired amputees to make the film amputees look more real. Like that's fucked up. <laughs> hey, yeah, we need you awesome. just for your not limb. That's why we need you on set. We're gonna put a bunch I of blood on it. Probably get paid more than most extras. Mm-hmm. Exploitation. Yeah. But I mean, it was some of the most visceral flashes of imagery. So much so it was one of those where it was VHS when I got this. I was just pausing and trying to pause it perfectly to get a clear frame view of oh. these messed up torture images that that this producer put together crazy yeah um, i wish we could get that yeah <laughs> and they immediately realized that no we we, we got to get off this fucking ship like we are going to end up like them they're all dead clearly we need to leave and then there's this big explosion sound and a big rift is cut into their rescue ship and so they have to stay here for x amount of time before the oxygen runs out in order to repair their ship and get off so you have the sense of urgency that really propels the story along um and then the deaths start really you know piling up and i don't know like uh it gets to a point where they finally believe that they fixed it and then dr weir is at this point so possessed by the ship um that he sabotages mm -hmm. uh the, their rescue ship and forces everyone to stay he's acting as the avatar of of the the ship or the entity yeah. or whatever and uh is trying to 
keep them. It's like it, it's like that whole um, idea of like devils collecting souls or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, no, one that's of those exactly old, old pre-Christian ideas. But kind of cool still. And I mm-hmm. I really like that they don't have an ultimate entity on the other side of it. You know what I mean? Like no devil or demon or anything like that. They just well, leave it. It's, it's scarier that way. Yeah. Like the, the unknown. Like it's as the... Um, the kid that gets drawn through at first that's catatonic through most of the film says it's the, it is darkness. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, that's, I mean, that's like the nothing in never ending story. Like that's yeah. fucking terrifying, that especially awesome. as a kid. Cause oh, yeah. you know, what is it? It's nothing. Cool. What does that mean? Nothing. Mm-hmm. Like that's a heavy, it means the abolishing of everything. Yeah. Death. Um, he was getting those flashes at the beginning. Yeah. And I think that's ultimately because he created the machine, but it never really explains, like, is there a space-time continuum connection that he retroactively experiences in that space-time because in the future he becomes possessed? Like, the whole thing is that the ship doesn't let people leave. Mm-hmm. And and they tapped into something that has absolute control over reality itself and uh, space-time, literally. So mm-hmm. that you never really... No, and that's one thing that the the director really wanted. He wanted everyone to have a little bit like The Shining at the end. Like, wait, wait, what? What was going on? What happened? He wanted us to sort of make up our own narrative in the end. And I think there was enough little one-offs like that that I think he successfully did it. Plus, with the dream to not dream ending, I think he successfully did it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um. Yeah, so ultimately, uh, he gets transformed into very much looking like a Cenobite, which is mm-hmm. very fucking cool. And yeah. he sort of does this uh, fight with Captain Miller, Lawrence Fishburne, and then uh, before he can separate the living space from the engine room, essentially, of the spaceship Event Horizon, um, in order to save his two remaining uh, crewmates. And... Uh, Ultimately, you know, in very much like Alien, you know, they get in their little stasis pods and go off. And then at the very end, there's a dream sequence where she wakes up and it's weird. They're like taking her out as the supposed rescuer. And then they wake up and, you know, the ship closes and it's very ominous. Like, oh shit, is it still being possessed? Is the ship still the ship at this mm-hmm. point? Which is kind of cool. Um, what were your favorite parts about this film? Because there's a lot. So I want to give us some time. Yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Because it's it's one of those movies that I mean, admittedly, I haven't seen it in a few years, um, but it's always one that's just held a special place in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, fuck, I don't know. I guess really, it probably just have to be. If I had to pick like one specific thing, I'd probably say it's the one-liners because <laughs> there's a lot of one-liners, but it's not. It's not ham-fisted. Yeah. Yeah, as cheesy as some parts of the movie can be, like, that's never a part of it. Like, that's, like, that quick, dry whip that's like, ah, I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. And then it moves on. It doesn't hang on it. So I really, really love that. Aside from, of course, like, the gore. Like, this is a gory fucking movie, and it's so beautiful. Like, especially uh, when they kick back on the gravity well, mm-hmm. and that corpse that's floating around just falls and just yeah. shatters. It's so cool. <laughs> yeah, that was great. There's a, I, I, That's got to be part of my... Uh, uh, some of my favorite bits. I think my most favorite is all of the connections that we, we have, right? So he, he used the uh, Lemarcon's box from Hellraiser. Is that how you say it? I might be fucking the it up. The Lament configuration? 
Well, he used um, the Cenobites puzzle box uh, as visual um, uh, inspiration in order to create that gravity well room. And so you see a lot of those similar patterns and stuff. And so for horror fans, it's an immediate visual connection with everything that you already know and love. And so there's no sort of hurdle you have to get past in order to really believe this universe. It's familiar enough. And like I said, like oh, alien, yeah. it's lived in and it feels sort of gritty and raw. They're fucking smoking in a closed contained spaceship. They're smoking. That blows my mind. It makes sense. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you smoke in a tiny contained space? I don't know. Yeah, I mean they they've got the <laughs> CO2 cartridges that, you know, filter it out. Alright, it just still seems a bit silly to me. <laughs> You're in space. Like what? What if you got too close to something? You know, I don't know. It just seems, and and the idea of just being in this closed space, filter or no, oh that 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 makes my asthma just flare up. Yeah, no, it, just it, it thinking would, it would probably smell like complete fucking trash in there. Ugh. Just like ashtray, like stale old month long ashtray. Okay, so um, my favorite parts was not that. <laughs> but the con visual connections that you have with so many other things. But then also the idea that they already, they, they prime you with this sort of history, really brief history lesson, so that you feel the universe. You know, you're mm -hmm. connecting visually with it, but now you actually, you're in it already because you know a bit of the history. You you can see how the characters are interacting with each other throughout the storyline. It just is so believable. It's so wonderful. Believable, it's a fucking horror movie. Um, I don't believe it. But it, it's so fucking beautiful. Like, every cut, every laceration on his face, on because there's a lot of like real close-ups looks mm -hmm. fucking fantastic like the special effects people props yeah definitely they killed it killed it anytime you're outside of the spaceship i could do without but the interior character interaction moments mm -hmm. and the horror like the horror is there's an urgency that pumps throughout this entire film it starts off nothing and then it's just sort of like you're in and you're yeah. wanting to like figure out what the hell they're seeing or what is going to be around that corner or you know you shouting at him don't that's not your fucking son don't follow him and just yeah. all, just craziness and you're just sort of caught up in it more than for me traditional horror films for whatever reason maybe because of you know everything combined but i had so much fun watching it today again like I, it was this weird because when we watch these and we know we're going to be talking about them, we're sort of taking a different view of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very much out of my head watching myself in my head and loving it. It was weird. It was really weird. It was like this weird druggy trip thing. That's event horizon. People, you want to get high, watch event horizon. Um, yeah, yeah. definitely, definitely a good movie to get high to <laughs> or high than watch. Yeah. Uh, might make the CG a little bit better. Oy vey. So let's talk about the worst. What are the yeah. worst parts? Because this is not a perfect film. No, no. I mean, what the fuck's a perfect film anyways? But yeah, it's... Like, my problem was the CG, but not because they used it. Mm -hmm. The problem was they were so heavy-handed with it, and they didn't yeah. need to be. Especially with all the exterior shots, um, with, like, the space station, the spacecrafts, and all that yeah. shit, because those were miniatures. Mm -hmm. But then they did the Lucas thing of just adding way too much CG to that shit because you've got the natural lighting on a physical thing and then you add something else to it that looks completely fucking different and it just makes you immediately come out. Yeah. I mean, like, it, 
when we first get the first glimpse into the event horizon before anybody's even boarded, it's okay. But they didn't have to have things coming right up to the camera yeah. and then going off because it's like, cool, we get it. There's no gravity. We can <laughs> literally fucking yeah. see that this isn't a 3D movie. But there was yeah, a lot the- of that, like when he was waving away the coolant and it was like coming right at you. Like, yeah, I, it didn't even yeah. look good. Like, fuck people. No. And the thing is, if it was a 3D movie, like, you, you know, you get your beautiful red and blue sun, uh, glasses. Yeah. Like, I'd buy it. That's fine. If it's going to be a 3D movie, that shit is excusable and 100% a okay. Yeah. But this wasn't. No. So that's <laughs> definitely my least favorite part. Yeah, I'm, I'm on that, that train with you, man. I, that CGI, it was never great. Like the you can call out every single frame that has CGI in it as you're watching it because it's not polished enough or they went a little too far with reflective surfaces or gloss or matte or something. Um, and I don't get it either too because this is what a year or two after Jurassic Park. Yeah. And that watch that fucking movie. Tell me what CG and what's. I practical. just watched it this weekend and it's brilliant still. It's it yeah that movie. You know, I think that Steven Spielberg guy's got a career if he wants one. He's going places. He might. <laughs> I think he's going to do something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe something. Um, uh, what else? What, I mean, what can we talk about? He, the, the, the music in this is very strange for me because it's bookended by mm. the music of the day, right? Very, very techno and poppy and... And then all of a sudden you get into the film and it's cinematically scored. Mm-hmm. And then right as this film ends, it goes back to... Yeah, it's very weird. much uh, Miramax intro and outro. Yeah. It like, felt like The Matrix. Yeah. Like that mm-hmm. type of music. Weird. Like house music. Come on. Doesn't yeah, make sense. It definitely did not fit. <laughs> the thing is, is like I, if it like was somehow flowed into the cinematic scoring... So that there's moments of, you know, like when it's in, I don't know when they would do that because it all sounds stupid. But if they somehow blended it a little bit better than just bookending title credits <laughs> with totally different tone. Yeah, it's, it's so abrupt, too. It's like there was no gradual rise of that outro music or intro music and yeah. like fading it into the movie. So it just it definitely does feel like bookings. Mm-hmm. So fucking abrupt. It's rough, man. Um all right, what else? Uh, the music, the cinematography was great. Again, inside. As soon as you got outside, it just... Yeah, that definitely left a little bit to be desired. And, well, I guess even then, not all of it. Um, I mean, when it was, like, the up-close on people, uh, like when Lawrence Fishburne was rushing to get the dude that was trying to commit suicide, yeah. like, that looks great. When they're actually fixing up their ship, uh, the Lewis and Clark, that looks great. It's just the pulled back shots of, you know, like, oh, here's the ship flying around. And, yeah, that shit just, it doesn't look good. Yeah. That whole scene where um, the guy is finishing repairing the ship and then the ship explodes and then he wily e. coyotes off on a piece of debris. Yeah. Like, th- that whole scene you could have just, like, cut out completely. Like, had mm-hmm. him tethered to the main ship or something. And mm-hmm. then he could have just, you know, swung and wounded himself for a while or, you know, knocked unconscious or something so that it excuses his absence while he's absent. But to have him traject back from, like, way out of Neptune's 
traditional gravitational mm. control so much so that he has to force himself down to it and then to be able to pinpoint right back to the ship and then his fucking cheesy ass lines because he's very much like that stereotypical black guy in a film we got to add one let's make him you know quippy yeah and that's exactly what they did with him it was oh, yeah. a total it was... waste of a character in my opinion it definitely um definitely <laughs> And it, it's because they don't even they don't even actually address what he is in the film. Like that's one of the jokes is they never fully address what he is. Like mm-hmm. everybody else has a very clear and distinct title. He's just sort of there. Yeah. It was is weird. Like that from that first scene with that character. The thing is they could have made him so much better too. Mm-hmm. Like if he was going to be like um, you know, the the rugged uh mechanic and that's why he's in that final mechanic scene right and so everyone like will you know rely on him for anything but you never really want to be around him because they're all like kind of wacky and weird like that type of a character for him as an actor i thought would have been great and it would have explained why he's out there on his own and then why he survived because he's you know fucking tough and like there's so many different ways you could have approached that character that fit within perfectly the the universe that he's writing why would you throw in one little like fucking i don't know it was weird it was. I, I mean, like it, it fit with the way we were first introduced to him, but it still, it feels off. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? The rest of it's pretty awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, okay. Definitely. I mean, I feel like we're running through this really quick. I, I don't want to. I yeah, don't we are. This yet. I really thought we would take more. So that, I mean, really, there's not, there's not that much story. A lot of it is atmosphere Yeah. and, you know, self-discovery. Like it's, just experiencing I mean, personal yeah. hells mm-hmm. collectively, I thought was a, a really interesting idea. Mm-hmm. Because like, What Dreams May Come is one of my favorite sort of uh, hell visages in, in film, right? Like, it, it is so brilliant. And watching Robin Williams go down into hell after his wife in order to pull her back... Um, and then uh, she's just in her own little personal hell. And every single person there is experiencing their own little personal hell. And so to see that reflected in this film again, even though I think this film was before that one, um, just it, you know, me watching so, it, making those little connections, it was brilliant. Yeah. So good. Yeah, no, it was gorgeous. Like, it was brilliant storytelling. Uh, it's, yeah, I mean, cinef- the cinematography is fantastic, like, yeah. especially what they do with all the lights and stuff. Like, that's just, that's classic. Like, whenever it's going to be really scary, just everything beams down to just a singular point of what you're supposed to focus on. Yeah. So goddamn good. Uh, so the hell scenes and visions were inspired by Renaissance paintings uh, by Hieronymus Bosch and uh, Peter Bruegel. I'm probably tearing those names up. Sorry. No, that sounds right. Uh, <laughs> uh, and again, they were much more graphic and much longer originally, but it was all cut. Um they they spoke to the changing political landscape in the film too, which I thought was interesting um, about this idea of this um, world that they're coming from uh, of, you know, everything is possible. They're doing deep space missions and it's just this promising thing. And then suddenly everything goes crazy with uh, the ship missing and the big catastrophe. And it seems to have like halted everything. I'm, I'm doing a lot of, just sort of projecting here on the story because it's not explained at all but uh in my own little headcanon so that you you do feel like it's a desperate mission like this was our great big collective technological creation and it went missing now everything's gone 
Finally, it comes back. We need to send our best and brightest Marines to go get it. And it's this beat up old ship and these, you know, rough and tumble characters going in there. Like, if it was like this flourishing world, that wouldn't be. And so I love yeah. this sort of dystopian future that it alludes to. And with the, I don't know, I did a lot of projecting with that. Well, and the urgency, too, because like they, uh, Lawrence Fishburne even speaks to that about yeah. how they were all pulled from leave. Like yeah. specifically for this mission. So great. Um, let's see. The role of Dr. Weir was originally offered to Scott Glenn and Bill Pullman, who turned it down, obviously. Um, Sam Neill's character, Dr. Weir, is named after a Dutch physician, occultist, and demonologist. Uh-huh. That's There's right. There's some fucking titles right there. <laughs> That's pretty fucking... I love, like, turn of this century, like, like Victorian-era medicine. Because it's filled with, like, glyphs, and leeches mm -hmm. and tinctures. There's a lot of tinctures back then. I feel like there was there was more like glass vials in the Victorian era than there is today. Not really. I just trying to make a stupid joke. Um, all right. So the Dutch physician's name is uh, oh fuck. Where did it go? Oh, Johan Veer. He's uh, born in Grave, Netherlands in 1515. So yeah, this this just 16th century mindset of science and medicine is so ridiculously crazy. Yeah. There was no such thing as like a cult that was science. So <laughs> it's pretty cool. I mean, it's true. <laughs> it uh, still is, right? Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. It's a forbidden knowledge. I'm trying. I'm trying to look at more notes, and I just can't find anything else. It's like we haven't already talked about this. this is such a good. Damn. Oh, here's one. So, real-life amputees were used for the special effects scenes, as I mentioned before. But they hired pornographic film actors in order to do, ha like, have sex. Like, sex and rape scenes That's in this hell hilarious. scene. And we lost that footage! <laughs> it's bullshit. <laughs> Definitely. I want it so desperately bad. That would have been so yeah. awesome. I mean, sometimes you get movies like that, but not, not too often. Like, yeah. Nymphomaniac, uh, Volume 1 and 2. I never watched Like all the, all the stunt. What? I just haven't watched them. Oh. So you get porn actors in there that are stunt doubles or body doubles. Yeah. So uh, yeah. That's how you do it, people. That's what we need in real life is our stunt double to tag in. Mm -hmm. Like, all right, uh, I think she's all primed. Please her like a porn star. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay. Get that last 30 seconds. <laughs> just make sure you tag me in. Yeah. Uh, weird. This is getting weird. All right. <laughs> Let's talk ratings. What did you give a rating? All right. So I'm going to give it a good 3.5. I'm with so you, man. Well worth watching, but it is it is pretty dated. Yeah. Although, yeah, looking at it now, it's like I'm pretty sure that CG was dated then too. Because, <laughs> yeah, we got Jurassic Park before this. Hell, yeah. Hell, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. Seems like the, the cost of it should have made it look much better, but. Either way, thank you all so much. That is our review of Event Horizon. You think people should go watch it? Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. I think you need to watch it as soon as you get off this damn Go episode. watch it right now. You can just turn our stupid show off and go watch it right now. Yes. Um, okay. If you want to support what we do here, if you know what we do here, first tell us what we do. Because we're yes. not quite sure. We're just fucking we're hanging just out. Here. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you want to support the show, of course, subscribe to the YouTube channel sign up to the email list and uh, if you get this via podcast like an audio podcast it's out there give us a rating and a review and that's it we appreciate it we really do appreciate it we really do all right until next time people 
Hail that Satan. Hail Satan. So we should have had queued up. Yeah, seriously. Some some mid to late nineties <laughs> hard rock industrialish shit. Yeah. Which literally I love and it definitely yeah, you feel like it's a it's like a new liner 